Bonnaby is the premier podcast spotlighting people of color. Every week, we talk news, what we've been playing, and tell you who's invited to the cookout. Our show is all about talking about gaming through a prism of blackness because we are the culture. Welcome to Bukaka, y'all. What up, what up, what up, everybody here on the Spawn on Me podcast. I'm your host, Khalif Adams. I hope you are doing well. I hope everyone is having a wonderful day. I hope you're having a lovely, lovely evening and afternoon, depending upon where you are. If you are overseas, then you're probably having a good morning or you're probably sleeping and you're not watching the show, which is unfortunate because that's not the way you can actually watch and look at our content if you are sleeping. Unless you are doing some dope inception business where you have me just rolling around manifesting myself within your brain three times over, which is totally fine, too. I'm OK with that because, you know, I, I like the way that works. Uh, if you missed our last episode with Jason Kelly, the voice of Cole from Deathloop, then you missed a banger of an episode. Yo, that bad boy is on the feeds. It is doing super, super well. People are digging it. People are loving the vibes that were in that conversation. And you should definitely go make sure you are checking that out. Also, we had another bonus show with our friend Will Powers, who is the man, the myth, the legend over at Razor, showcasing and sharing all the information that he had for all the goodies that they showed at CES 2022. So make sure you're going and checking out that show as well. We have a lot of dope folks in the chat tonight coming and hanging out with us because we have a very, very cool and special guest. I am super excited because this man has been on my radar for a long period of time. We have had a lot of chances to chop it up over various conversations about the gaming space, about how we're all doing this on the Twitters, on the place that makes it happen where all the conversations move and all the <laughs> all the hashtags get, get shared in all the wonderful places. I am super excited to bring on to the show tonight. We have Global Head of Gaming Partnerships, Rishi Chada. How are you doing? I hope you're all doing well. What's good, fam? How's everything going? Everything's good, Cod. Thanks for having me on today, my man. Dude, thank you so much for, for rocking. Uh, thank you so much for being here. It is it is always amazing to, you know, have dope folks come onto the show, talk about all the wonderful things that they have going on. Uh, and I am very excited. I think, you know, the 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 work that you do is consistently you know, pushing the space forward. You're thinking extremely uh, well about the ways that we can all kind of do this work together within the spaces that we occupy. Uh, so again, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to, to have you rock with us tonight. Cool. The pleasure's all mine and uh, happy anniversary, my man. Thank you very much. Nine years is a long time to do anything. Uh, it is it is uh, yes. something that I have been you know thinking about a lot, and uh, it's always great to be able to share those moments with amazingly dope folks like yourself. Uh, so, you know, I, I want to jump into a little bit of information about you. I think one of the things that folks who come across your work um, might not necessarily get a chance to kind of see and hear is about you know how you got into the business, how you kind of started um, at Twitter and, and now how you've kind of moved into this amazing position as global head of gaming partnerships. Give the folks at home a little bit of info about, about you. Yeah, um, so I've been in the gaming and esports industry for over 12 years now. Um, I start when I, I didn't plan for this. That's like the <laughs> biggest thing is like, I really didn't plan for this all. Um, originally went to what I went to college to be a doctor and so after about two years of studying human biology and getting my ass kicked by OCHEM and physics, I realized I wasn't going to be a doctor. Just not in the cards for me. And I had to accept 
that I needed to pivot in my career and figure something out. So I ended up switching over to an econ major because business in general was just super fascinating to me. Graduated in the heart of the Great Recession back in 08, 09, and there were no jobs. I had no idea to what I was going to do. And I was thinking about maybe do I go back and tough it up and get a tutor and learn all the things and maybe get my post back. Um, and at that point, a buddy of mine from college actually said, hey, look, uh, my company I'm working at, we're hiring someone for biz dev, uh, you should check it out. So it was a company that did eyewear for computer use. And one of our target demos was actually those who were playing video games. So I got introduced to the world of major league gaming and MLG events and competitive Halo and then just esports at large at that time and started, you know, seeing like, hey, look, there's something here. This is there's there's something it's it's really popular and I think that it's only going to get bigger. And so I took a leap of faith and just said, you know what, let's keep going down this path and see where it goes. And so from my time there, I went over to Machinima after my time at Machinima and really just like working at the first MCN that allowed you to monetize gaming content on YouTube, uh, went over to Major League Gaming and helped them launch their live platform and also worked with a lot of game publishers like Activision Blizzard and Valve on their esports programs. And then after we got acquired by Activision, I moved over to the mobile game space and worked at a company called Mob Crush that did mobile game streaming. And then uh, from there, I ended up at Twitter. Now I've been at Twitter almost five years and it's been... A very, very crazy ride for me. Um, my day-to-day and like what I do as the gaming content partnerships, what does that even mean? Yeah. Uh, I work with the everyone under the entire gaming ecosystem in that um, there's you know game publishers and developers, there's esports teams, there's gaming personalities and gaming creators, there's communities, there's award shows like the Game Awards, there's you know editorial outlets like yourself or IGN. And I'm working with everyone on a variety of different things that boil down to revenue, reach, and innovation. So Mm. how do we work with our partners to allow them to grow and engage their audiences on the platform and able to distribute their content in innovative uh, ways? And also, how do we work with them on building a business on Twitter, allowing them to monetize their content and monetize their audiences? And so uh, no one day is the same, but it's, uh, you know, working with the entire ecosystem, which can be a lot, but it's super exciting. I, the, the thing that I love to hear you talk about is that that leap, right? It is difficult to kind of move from a space in which you started, you know, where you kind of have initially landed to, you know, now having having this very prestigious role here at Twitter. Um, uh, were you always were you a gamer at, at heart? Were you always kind of like in the gaming space, you know, because you moved from a lot of different spaces that are very gaming centric uh were you always uh, in the in the gaming spaces in terms of like your off time of, of playing games and doing that kind of stuff so you know i i played games when i was really young always followed games i was not good at games like i'm just no skill but i enjoyed playing games yeah uh but as i got older and i started working in the industry i i will admit my time that i played got significantly less <laughs> i spent more time talking about them but i play spend more less time to, uh, playing them and my wife's in the games industry too so you know by the end of the day we've both spent so much time talking about video games we're like you know what, let's just watch something <laughs> let's put something on the tv and just relax or read a book yeah. uh but I'm definitely, 
I think like over the past couple of years, I've started to like want to be playing games more. And so yeah. I'm looking forward to like checking out some of the games in my free time and playing more games as we go forward. That's definitely something I'm making a goal for myself personally is play more games uh, and don't just talk about them. So I'm excited about that. I mean, we're all we're all scrambling for for time at this point to do anything that is not actual work. Uh, so I appreciate that uh, and, and, and rock with you on that, because I know for me, it's it's also kind of lo I'm losing steam in terms of being able to find time to play games. Um, I, I want to dig back into the conversation you, you kind of started and broached about you know, how you're working with with, with uh, influencers, how you're working with brands, how you're working with all these folks to kind of build this pipeline so that they can not only kind of have a larger reach, but also monetize their content, which I think, again, I think a lot of folks in our community, especially we have these conversations often about, you know, one, we're trying to get more people to see our stuff Two, We're trying to figure out right. good ways to kind of, you know, not be beholden to just one platform to be able to monetize the stuff that we do. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about, you know, some of the kind of areas and, and, and ways that people are, you know, monetizing their work through through Twitter. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of my goals with Twitter and what we do with gaming and I, I hope with the platform overall is I want Twitter and I, I firmly believe that Twitter is this second screen experience that mm -hmm. and the home for all conversation that's happening, no matter what game it is or where that game is broadcast, people are coming to Twitter to talk about it. And so my intention and our intention with what we do in our strategy is to always think about Twitter as another complementary means for you to have content distributed and also to monetize that content too. So, you know, the ways we have for monetization on the platform, there's a few different things we have and they all really complement what you're doing elsewhere. So you're streaming on Twitch, you're streaming elsewhere on YouTube or Facebook, then you can take your clips and highlights. You can actually post them to Twitter and then you can monetize them through a program like Amplify Pre-Roll. Uh, separately, we have things like, you know, we just launched tipping and tipping is available for everyone now. So it's still super new. But I think that, you know, if there's a community that will really understand this and, and utilize it the best, it's going to be the gaming community. Mm -hmm. And then I think we have things like super follows coming out that we were testing right now, too, which I'm super excited about. And then, you know, we have the audio space and what we're doing with spaces, which I see y'all in a lot of them and you're doing a lot with them. Yeah. And I think the next step to that is like ticketed spaces and how you can monetize those, too. So you have all of these tools that allow you to focus on ways you can monetize Twitter content specifically, but also content that's complementing what else you're doing elsewhere. So you can build a much more robust and diverse business that's not reliant, like you said, on one platform. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, because there's a lot of cultural conversations about social media and how we're using it, how we're utilizing it and how we're kind of, you know, bouncing through different versions of it all the time. Uh, you know, someone, you know, the, someone asked me the other day, but like, you know, how much do you use Twitter? I was like, my God, <laughs> I was like, you have no idea how much I'm on Twitter, how much I'm like tweeting. I was talk talking to somebody uh, earlier today. They were like, you know, uh, telling me about some some conversations that they were having through Twitter about other other things. And they were like, you know, do you tweet a lot? And I was like, I think in the past month, I tweeted maybe 1500 tweets in a month. Which thinking about that alone, I'm just like, am I, am I, what am I over indexing? Am I under indexing? Like, what am I doing in that space? But I think, you know, with the growth that we've seen uh, across so many different avenues and, 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 and I love you talking about that cross pollination between services of like people are streaming on Twitch, but they're letting their audiences know, Hey, I'm going live on Twitter. They're doing that work there. Have you seen, you know, with the way that you're putting out new 
uh, products and you're kind of beta testing stuff. You talked about super follows and that stuff. Are you seeing any different kinds of indexing that happens within not only those beta programs that feels like it's, you know, helping with discoverability for folks who are in the space, but also are you, you know, and I know you can't tell me specific numbers, but I think, are you seeing any upticks in the ways that people are kind of, you know, um, using those spaces like spaces to kind of, you know, you know, further the conversation? Yeah, I think like, let's talk about spaces for a second. Yeah. Spaces have been super interesting because we're seeing as, as it's become more widely available, there's definitely more people using them. Yeah. What I think is incredibly fascinating is when you look at the gaming space and what they've been doing with spaces. So uh, unlike, and I, I think it's a testament to this, one of the use cases for spaces, which is around just super fandom for, for individuals or games or personalities. Mm. When you think about, uh, a lot of the gaming spaces we've seen. So you've got those who are really consistent and then you have these hyper-engaged conversations. So there's a lot of that happens, whether it's you know, folks such as yourself or you're seeing stuff like, um, you know, Mira has been doing some really cool stuff with So You Want to Be a Streamer and mm -hmm. consistency around that. And then you have, you know, editorial outlets like IGN that they're doing their own spaces and they are bridging the gap between their stuff and working with, you know, a lot of the theaters and studios and whatnot. And then you have this really, and a lot of those are being promoted, shared and whatnot, right? And then you have this fascinating thing happening with the Minecraft streaming cohorts huh. where these folks, they have, they don't tweet it. They don't share it. They don't do any of that stuff. They just go live on spaces and then they'll have 20,000 people sitting in this room huh. listening to them talk. And so it's like, you're getting this whole spectrum of different use cases when it comes to the gaming ecosystem that are tapping into spaces. And it's a testament to the fact that these folks are highly engaged and people want to be having these conversations and they're really enjoying the product in some ways, but they're also just this incredibly enthusiastic fandom that's around gaming that you don't see with anything else. That's that's super interesting because I, I, I have always thought of spaces in the way that I'm thinking about using like because like we're, we're going to be doing mm -hmm. our spawny show at the end of the month and I'm definitely going to have a space where I'm like a, a moment after the show where we'll go do a spaces right after right like it feels like a right a nice end cap to an event or to a conversation or to a thing that you're seeing like especially like the the game awards which is was huge this year uh again to see mm -hmm. that kind of stuff but also hearing that people are just like popping on and they're starting the conversation to, to like jump start another interaction is also really interesting it feels like you know uh whenever you put out a new product any company that puts out a new product there is the intended use and then there is the way yes. that people actually get into it uh i, I love hearing the, the fact that that you you're finding surprises within the way that things are working in that space for real Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, it goes back to like, you're talking about discoverability, right? And it's like, none of that really applies in this case. And it's, yeah. I, I, I absolutely say it's a fringe case. I, but I think I also point to the fact that it speaks to the hyper-engaged fandom that you have for gamers and these gaming creators. And so it's something you see, you know, whenever people are watching and leaving comments on a YouTube video or things like that, it's the same type of thing that's happening in these instances. But look at the engagement around the tweets they post and the things they do. And it just speaks to the fact that there's people that are really leaned in and want to engage with the content that they have to share. And so you have that, but then we also are trying to think about what are the discovery mechanisms, whether it's things like allowing you to schedule spaces or now doing stuff with spaces recordings that allow you to share them and let people tap into it when they miss the space. I think there's a lot more that's happening on that front that we're providing, you know, we're providing more tools to, to make the experience better and to service a lot of the needs that people have around that stuff.
I mean, spaces have been a, one of the coolest features I've seen, you know, pushed out. I mean, I was, I, first of all, I was a big fan of, uh, uh, voices, voice tweets. I, I know a lot yeah. of like audio tweets. I love that thing. Cause it was one, it was a great way to, you know, uh, mess around with, with fellow, fellow, uh, industry folks and just leave a message and, and tag them and just like, see what happens. But it's also a, a great space to see spaces now, like, if I'm ever in a space at this point, I automatically get like 20 to 30 follows after a show. Like after the spaces is over, mm -hmm. it winds up being a thing where those folks are like, oh, you had a really good thing to say. Let me follow you. And it's been some great, again, cross pollination about how those things have worked, which has been really, really cool to see. I, I want to go back to the conversation around the Amplify pre-roll stuff, because I think that is also yeah. really interesting. So we are a part of that program. You know, it's been it's been fantastic for 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 Spawn on me and for for what we've been able to do, um, not only from a you know a way to kind of help self uh, fund our work, uh, but it also has been really good to feel like it adds a, a like a layer of legitimacy to our to our stuff. Uh, and, and I don't know how that translates to to the way other folks have kind of shared feedback to you, but having a an ad in front of a video that you do feels like oh well this person is in a space where people need to pay attention to this in a different way i'd love to hear your thoughts about like how the amplify a uh, uh, program has you know started to to kind of grow do you feel like a lot of folks are, are, are coming to it in in a good way and i'd love to hear your thoughts about like how this kind of shorter form content has been kind of moving on twitter because i feel like you know, YouTube has a very specific space. Twitch has a very specific space in how much content it does. But Twitter, I don't think people really think of it as a content home in the ways that, you know, yeah. people are using it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, I think, you know, Twitter, Twitter is more than 280 characters. And I yeah. think that's been a big, big mission statement for me since I started here is when I started, you, you always think about just the tweets, the banger tweets, the spicy memes, and that's pretty much it. But <laughs> there's a whole other area you can be tapping into, whether it's, you know, video content, uh, audio spaces now, things like moments and Q&As and prediction polls and all these other fun th interactive tools that we have on the platform. And I think video is one that's super interesting to me in that short form video does incredibly well on the platform. Like we are the home for highlights. When you think about mm. NBA Twitter or NFL Twitter, the same thing's happening with gaming Twitter or esports Twitter, like an esports events is happening. People are sharing the best clips from those moments that are happening on Twitter and then racking up hundreds of thousands of views, if not millions of views on those clips. And so I think that's what's been really exciting is just to think about, hey, there's a you have your long form that's happening on YouTube. You've got live that's happening on Twitch. You've got short form that's happening on Twitter. We're not a platform that's trying to get people to have an increased watch time. We're all about those short quips that are happening that as you're scrolling through your feed. And so I think that we've been able to carve out an, a lane with that and we've been able to showcase, you know, now we're supporting people and allowing them to make a business off of that. So that's been really exciting to see. Because the program allows some of the key, like marquee things about the program is it's invite only right now, but also we are focused on brand safety. So mm. uh, as much as I'd love to have, you know, every single headshot clip or, you know, blood and guts and all of that stuff, we're not really doing that right now. It's a brand safe program. So it's focused on allowing advertisers that want to be getting into gaming. It's a really easy way for them to say, I want to get into gaming, but I want to be in brand safe gaming. This is a great program for that. So 
we've been really pleased with with how that's worked out. And I think from us, from a strategic perspective, we're like continuing to grow. Uh, like we've seen now we're close to almost 300 people in the program. Wow. Of that, you know, yeah, of that um, about, I want to say about 70% of it is gaming creators. <laughs> and then on top of that, you know, what's been really great to see is that just in this last year alone, we've seen about, 50, about a 50% increase in the amount of underrepresented gaming gaming creators in the program, so like about forty percent of the pro, of the gaming creators in the program come from underrepresented backgrounds. So, I, I've made that like a I think one of the and that's I think you and I have talked about this. It's like really eye opening in that a lot of folks to become noticed and become like really established, they sign with an org or they, they mm. hit it big in the beginning, and like that's really where it's at. But there's a whole other cohort of individuals and people that you know, aren't signed to an organization, they're independent, they're doing their own thing. And it's really hard to get recognized. And so my intention is also to say, like, how do we get those people in the program who are making really amazing content, but just haven't had a chance to be a part of something yet? And how can we do more with them and give them the ability to build a business on the platform that complements whatever their content creation strategy is elsewhere? And like, that's my long term strategy with the program is, it's not just going to be an invite only thing. It's going to be like everyone can come and be a part of this and they can build their own thing and have a self-serve opportunity to build on it uh, and allow themselves to be successful uh, in the program, too. I, I love that because I think that, you know, there have been so many conversations over the past, especially three years of, you know, what does it mean to be a creator and how do you kind of figure out good ways to you know, connect to your audience in a bigger and broader way. I mean, without Twitter, our show would not be where, where, where it is now. We wouldn't have made nine years at this point if it wasn't for Twitter being the backbone of how we connect to not only our fans, but how do we connect to guests? It's, it's, it's a huge, you know, tool for, for how we're kind of using that stuff. Um, when you, when you're thinking about the kind of future of what the gaming space looks like and we, and again, using that bridge to those underrepresented folks, are you, are you finding that, you know, a lot of the temperature, which which goes, you know, hot and cold all the time, right? There's, there's always, you know, either some random controversy that pops up and everybody freaks out and it becomes a trending thing. We saw a lot of conversations over this past week about some of those layers of it. Uh, but are you seeing like the the... the the temperature kind of changed. Do you feel like it's it's still been consistently, you know, uh, uh, growing maybe in a positive sentiment? I mean, you know, it depends on who you are and what your what your kind of stance is when you're working on the platform. But do you find that there are any trends that you're seeing from, you know, the ways people are talking to each other? And if there is any space where you feel like it's moving in a, a, a kind of more positive direction? Yeah, I, I do think it's moving in a more positive direction overall. Uh, and, and there's a few different ways you look at it. There's like yeah. this overall, I think the sentiment is is becoming more positive. Everybody is really celebrating the idea of everyone can play video games. Yeah. You've got, you know, and a lot of those conversations that are happening where mainstream culture is mashing into gaming and, and gaming is becoming just even more ingrained in mainstream culture is happening on Twitter. You've got Dean Norris, you know, tweeting about what's <laughs> Minecraft and then going and playing Minecraft with a curator or you've got, you know, Neymar Jr. cheering on Furia when, you know, they're playing in the in the CSGO major last last year. Yeah. Or, you know, just like these really interesting things that are happening and that's, and then everybody gathers, rallies around it. I mean, even Gordon Ramsay tweeting about Twitch. It's like, right? people are like, oh yeah. my God, like this is crazy, right? So you have that happening, right? And I think that's like the overall theme of positivity that's going in the right direction. Separately, I find that we're now in a, in a time where 
you know, I've always believed that the gaming audience, you know, the gaming community has been, you know, fairly inclusive, at, you know, at a high level. There's, it's not perfect. Won't deny that. Sure, sure, sure. But I think that, you know, we're, we are now more than ever, um, not willing to put up with as much bullshit. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> the, like the, the, the amount of bullshit, like the, the, the threshold has gotten so much lower now. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. the moment something happens, people are like, no, that's not okay. Yep. Stop that shit. We should be more inclusive and we all need to be doing better. And I think the accountability is there now, or starting to be more there now. And I appreciate that type of stuff. And while that doesn't feel positive when you sure. think about it, it's actually the outcome, the output of that is very positive. Right. Yeah. And so in that sense, I really like that where we're going with that. And I think the conversations we're having, having tough conversations, we're recognizing those things. And I think we're holding everybody accountable. And I, I like seeing that happen because it only makes the whole industry and ecosystem better at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I, I love that take on this because I think that I'm seeing that too, where there is, there's always been an interesting space where I think the audience is hyper-focused on the immediate, right? But I think that there is a, yes. there's a, a, a lane in which the, you know, if you look at tracking over time and you think about how much folks have grown to be able to kind of do and say things that they, that they kind of really, you know, hold and, and say with their chest, that has been very, very, you know, uh, uh, kind of enlightening to me has been, I've seen so many movements happen within the gaming space on Twitter. I've seen so many people rally to people's um, help and, and to, and to give them support and to do things like that, that that is, you know, I try to look at things in a kind of, in a positive light. And I remember those moments because those are the things that, you know, continue to keep me on the platform. Uh, and it's been great to see, you know, the, the, the teams at, at Twitter, you know, be responsive to, you know, some of those, you know, very, very pointed critiques at, at, you know, how social media kind of works and how we're able to kind of do that work together. So that's been really nice to be able to kind of point at those moments and say, you know, people do give a shit at these big companies, like people are paying attention to, to, to the way that things are moving in that way. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that sentiment because that, that means a lot. Um, yeah. a, a thing that I do want to dig into, because I love that, you know, sure. you, the, the team shared some really interesting stats. Uh, you know, there's this is uh, kind of like overarching uh, data dump that happens, you know, towards the end of a year. Um, and I, and I, I'm a data nerd, so I love like seeing stuff like this happen because I'm like, what does that mean in the grid? Like what tidbit can you take out of this to kind of like, you know, see what the underlying thread is? Um, and it says, I, I'm reading, I'm reading this off of, 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 uh, a piece of, uh, work that you all sent over 2.4 billion tweets about gaming, which is 14% over a year over year, uh, which is a, a 10 times increase from 2017. And there are various different categories that go along that conversation. So to your point of the conversations around gaming growing in an exponential way, uh, we have some actual stats towards that, that, that lean to that. Are you, are you, when you, when you're kind of combing through this data, uh, and seeing this stuff happen, are, are you all on the team thinking about, you know, not only how can you capitalize on some of that stuff, but how can you spotlight it and, and, and motivate it to kind of, you know, continue to grow that. What's that look like when you're going to dig through this stuff and you're like, oh, that's really interesting. Or, you know, what were some of the things you found to be really interesting when you kind of looked at all that data kind of, you know, piled up? Yeah. Uh, so on the game, like the most talked about games in the world, front, yeah. I think what's interesting about that is one of the stats, we didn't really put it out, but I think what's interesting to see is just 
you have a global number and the global, and you can see how certain regions influence that. So yeah. Japan obviously has a huge influence with games like, you know, Genshin Impact, Apex Legends, Fate Grand Order, Ensemble Stars. Like a lot of these games are very popular in Japan as well as other markets too, like the US. Mm-hmm. But we've seen the influence of that too. So the global influence is, is really, impl- there's a lot that's there. I think separately, when you look at just like some of the regional stuff, you'll see like, you look at the top games in the US, you have Call of Duty on there and you have a couple other games on there that are more Western focused. And so that's really interesting to see what happened. Um, I think what's really fascinating is just how long so many of these games have been in the top 10 lists. Yeah. Like you've got, <laughs> you know, Genshin, Ensemble, Stars, Fate, Grand Order, Minecraft, Fortnite. They've all been on here for many, many years. Right. And, and even Animal Crossing and things like that are pretty new. And they've popped up recently because of all the success they've had in the past couple of years. But I think that's really fascinating to see um, is one gaming just has no borders and the fandoms everywhere, but it also can differ a little bit based off of where you're looking at. And you can see some, um, you can also see how certain countries like Japan have a heavy influence on the rest of the conversation. Uh, the other one that's interesting is just the esports list, which that yeah. tends to be one of the most popular like, discussed ones we always have. Uh Seeing FaZe Clan move down to number two was a big surprise and seeing Loud pop into number one. That was wild to see that number, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty crazy to see that happen because there's it's a testament to the growing fandom. I mean, just the hyper-engaged and continuing to grow fandom from Brazil. You have so many teams coming from the Brazilian market into the list. Uh, and we're seeing you know, the way things are shifting with some of the other teams and other teams popping in and other teams disappearing. So I... I think what happens with that list is I know a lot of the teams look at that and then they're like, okay, why (laughs) are we in the top 10? We need to get our shit together. Yeah. We got to figure this out. So what are we doing wrong? And I think that's fascinating to see is like what, what this list will influence as far as content strategy goes for those teams. And then the, the other two that are fascinating are just like the esports athlete list. Call of duty used to have a huge presence on it. Now it's only one. We're now mm-hmm. seeing t- games like Valorant's on the list, uh, Green of Free Fire's on the list with one, uh, one athlete. And then we have a mix of Fortnite players on there too. So you don't necessarily o- are always thinking about Fortnite esports, but there's a lot of those folks and people are still talking about them and the conversations there. And then the creator is like the last part I'll talk about, but cr- we've seen so many creators on this list that have just gotten popular in the past couple of years. And I think that's just a testament to the ch- ever constant change in the creator landscape for gaming uh, and how people can pop off one year and disappear the next and come back a couple of years later. So that's been really fascinating to see. It's always uh, really fascinating to dig into, like you shared that global perspective. We are very much so, at least in many of the, the you know, of course the United States gaming circles, so North America focused, not only in the way that we yeah. cover things, but the way that we talk about games that it winds up changing a lot of the conversation, but in a very small circle, right? So it's like those things aren't really bubbling up and, you know, proliferating throughout the rest of those conversations. So it is really cool to see, you know, you know, Japan be number one in those conversations and what that means for gaming in that in that space. Um, I, I'm thinking specifically about, you know, the, the esports teams too, when, you know, I it was like, skimming the list really quickly just seeing the names of the categories and my expectation was to see 100 thieves on the top of that list and they are not they're not number one which i thought was also extremely interesting they're number four out of that out of that list which i thought was huh 
the way they index in my mind from the way that they market themselves, I would think that for them to be a lot higher, but like you, sh like you shared, you know, loud and phase and sentinels in that space are kind of topping them out in that way. So it is really cool to see, you know, how expectations wind up getting broken and it should be for all of you at home, a, a another layer to how you think about this industry, which I think is also extremely important. Speaking of, of, of uh, creators who are on that list too, that I, you know, uh, seeing pop up again, a lot of folks from uh, Latin America, a lot, uh, you know, Ivan from Spain, uh, Ari from Mexico. Um, and also interesting enough, seeing Carl Jacobs on that list at number five, which is nuts because I remember him closing his account or shutting his account, starting a new account and still made the top five list. Which, which, which like God knows how many millions of followers. So that means if he did those numbers and he's number five, what in the hell <laughs> is everybody else doing to get these kinds of numbers? It's cool to see like that's a thing uh, within that conversation. Are, are you seeing like again, like going back to the conversation about surprises, like knowing how long it takes for people to bu bubble up in this way? you know, and you having been at Twitter for, for some years now, have you seen this kind of meteoric rise happen this often for folks? Or is this really like a new conversation we're having where people are like coming out, being attached to bigger brands or being connected to other folks and then just like bum rushing and getting ridiculous amounts of followers at this point? It's, it, it's happened, but not at the scale it's happened recently. Like, yeah. Folks like Carl Jacobs or, you know, Dream or Corpse Husband. Corpse Husband's probably the one of the biggest growth trajectories we've ever seen. Yeah. And that's only happened as recent as a couple of years ago, right? Like 2020 was his first big year. And then 2021, he just like was already, he was established. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's one of the most recent ones that come to mind in terms of just the crazy growth we've seen. But I think we're now seeing that happen uh, internationally as well. Individuals are now building, you know, huge audiences in different markets like Brazil or in Europe, and we're seeing the growth trajectories for those folks there. And so I think that's what the trend's going to be next is you're going to see more of these gaming creators pop off and become really successful in other markets outside of North America as we see the fandom just growing in a lot of other markets. So to that point. Um, cause I think this will be really good for the audience to kind of dig through. And again, we have a lot of folks in our chat who are content creators. We have a lot of folks who listen to the show who are trying to figure out better ways to get bigger, to have more visibility in that way. Carl, I kind of understand cause he has a connection to Mr. Beast in a bigger way. Or like Mr. Beast is sure. ridiculous in terms of numbers that he's doing. Corpse husband is doing a lot of stuff on Twitch and, and broadening that thing and broadening that thing out. Like I remember seeing. You know, when AOC was was doing uh, streams on Twitch and there was a lot of conversation us, yeah. doing Among Us stuff, I was like, oh, that makes sense to see these folks in this circle kind of, uh, you know, uh, adjacent. But for folks who are listening, who who are like, I want to figure out a way to use my Twitter account in a way that will help me grow, in a way that will help me get seen. Are you seeing anything from any of those larger creators that potentially could work for someone who's like small or medium size? Are there any things in there that may be helpful for them to kind of use as tools? Yeah, I would say uh, going back to what we said earlier, you know, Twitter is more than 280 characters. So hmm. how do you utilize the suite of products? Uh, how do you do more with video? So what do, how are you sharing stream highlights and clips and the best moments that are shareable? 
How do you engage in conversation on the platform? What are you doing to engage and, and talk with one another and talk with your fans and your communities? Uh, what are you doing with like stuff that are discover- discoverability mechanisms like spaces? How are you utilizing that and incorporating that into your strategy? Uh, I feel like those are really some of the big areas of, of where we're seeing the most success. And I think also then just what are the opportunities with some of the, like, the, the basics of like collaborations and things like that and how you can build those collaborations into what you do on Twitter with content and sharing that content on Twitter too. So I feel like a lot of those things just are, are really, really important to do and being consistent. Mm. Uh, I think that takes a lot of things take a lot of time too. So it's like posting one video, it's and saying, <laughs> okay, why didn't it hit? It's like, that's not how this works. You got to do this consistently over and over and over again. The repetition is key and, the, and posting video nonstop is key. But as you start to build up on that and be more consistent, then more people are going to see that videos, the content, and they're going to be sharing it, engaging with it. Uh, and that's going to help you build your audience and your brand. Get your rep ups, kids. You got to get your reps up. You got to make sure you're doing <laughs> yes. those and, and posting a bunch and, and, and making stuff happen in that way. Um, before we let you go, uh, what else are you excited for, for 2022 when it comes to gaming? What other things are you seeing on the horizon that, that are speaking to you and the rest of the team, things you want to capitalize on folks that you may have an eye on and you're like, Oh, those cats are doing something kind of interesting and different. What do those conversations seem like for you? Oh man. I, I feel like it's an interesting year because I think one of the things I'm most excited about is we're finally starting to get to a place where more in-person events can happen and mm. we can see more in-person esports events, more in-person gaming events. Um, while I know that E3 isn't happening in person this year, I still look forward to events like PAX and some of the other th- like game awards at the end of the year. So hoping for more of that return of in-person events, because I think that's an incredibly important part of the gaming culture at large. I think, uh, I want to see what happens with we're in this really unique time where uh, creators are now starting to utilize their brands and tap more into creating content on behalf in partnership with esports orgs so mm. that everybody's sharing a little bit of equity. And I want to see what that continues to build into. I mean, 100 Thieves is one of the folks that have like organizations that have done it best. We're now seeing, you know, complexity is doing stuff with Tim. I want to see more of that stuff happen, but I want to see more of that happen with how do we see the next, what's the next generation of like middle tier creators that then can be involved in doing that stuff at large scale. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, it's, it's really about, and this is more of a, you know, a, at a high level, I want to see how brands in general continue to invest in the gaming space and do more. You know, I want to see I want to see more dollars coming into creators' hands and not just going into traditional and linear television or traditional sports. I want to see that coming over here because this is where the this is the new core demo audience that they're looking for. The next generation customer is someone that's watching a gaming creator and not watching linear television. So, what's happening there and how do we continue to see that push forward is really important. And you know, I think overall, just on the gaming front, like. Very excited to see what acquisitions like Microsoft buying Activision are going to do for the ecosystem and and what plays from that. So, I mean, I hope to see more of these big moves and what like the outcomes are of these big moves and how it mean what it means for the consumer. I, I think someone tweeted, I thought it was you, but I don't know if it was you, but someone tweeted that, that I'm really excited about like overall, I'm excited about the acquisition because I, Xbox has done right with everything they've done so far. So they've yeah. gained some equity for the customer. And I, I think that's how I feel. It's like some people could say it's scary, but I'm like, well, no, this, they've done right so far. So like, let's see where this goes. And, you know, hopefully they're going to continue to push that forward and, and really continue to build on the equity they've built with their customers. 
Yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, we were going to dig into a little bit of that conversation, but you nailed you nailed that part of the conversation. As a pro does, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild, wild couple of days in terms of that conversation. I'm sure a lot of Xbox things were trending on, on Twitter for, for, for most of Tuesday and most of Wednesday, for sure. It was it was crazy. It was I had the pleasure of speaking with our new CEO the day it happened. And I was like, look at the top three trends right now in the world. It's all about gaming. Yeah. It's about, you know, the Xbox acquisition and what's happening. Like it's a testament to the conversation that's happening on this platform. I mean, one of my favorite tweets about the whole thing was someone saying, I woke up and my wife was like, You need to get on Twitter. It <laughs> shit's going crazy right now. And I'm like, that sums up the gaming conversation on a daily basis. Yeah, that was that was me too. I got a I got a text way too early in the morning. Yo, Microsoft, stop doing stuff early in the morning Pacific time. You got to wait until like nine a.m. Fam, that's not okay. Uh, but it was great to kind of be a part of the scuttlebutt and then see you know that conversation move in such a breakneck pace that it was just like it felt like the Super Bowl of gaming for a hot second, and that's that's a rare really occurrence. Good. Because it doesn't happen that often where big news like this happens. Even the Bethesda stuff didn't pop like the way this popped uh, right. in that same way. So it is, It is again, it feels like Twitter is the place to be for, for all of those kinds of com- uh, communications and conversations to happen in that space. So uh, excited to see, you know, what else is coming down the pipeline for you all. You know, what new products are going to be coming in there for all of us to be able to use. I am a huge fan of it. I had somebody in the chat just now. Game Manuel said, you should put together a Spawn on Me community on Twitter. I got to find the button. If I find the, find the button, I'll figure it out and do it. But it's, God, I'm sorry. Go ahead, well, we'll get you set up with that. We can work on that for sure. We'll figure that out. See, you got you got it there live <laughs> on the show. You got it live on the show. Rishi, brother, thank you so much for, for being on with me tonight. Uh, again, it's always a pleasure to hear you know, you share your your vision for what this space can be and how we can interact with it and how we can grow our platforms on Twitter. Again, one of the biggest platforms on the planet for getting your word and message out. And and I would say, you know, thinking about our anniversary today, you know, Twitter is an invaluable tool for us to continue to figure out how to grow and share our message of, of spotlighting people of color around the industry. So thank you for all the support you've given and, and for the wonderful work you and your team does every day. So thank you, man. Of course, appreciate you and congratulations on your success. And here's the next nine years, man. Oh my God, I'm going to be gray as heck up in this piece doing this show. They're going to be like, why is this dude still here? Get him out of here. Uh, Fam, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I'll see you very, very soon. We have lots of things to talk about. Uh, Everybody here on the show, we have lots of things to dig into. We have a lot more stuff to have conversations about. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. Uh, We're going to let Rishi go. Uh, And yeah, we'll be right back after this. But before we do, we have to give our love to our friends over at Manscaped. Manscaped is the wonderful best tool that you can have within your arsenal to make sure that your bongs are not looking rough when you're out there in the streets, when you're about to get down, when you're about to make sweet, passionate you know what I'm about to say, but I'm not going to dig into it. We're not going to have that conversation up in here tonight. We're not going to talk about that very specific thing. But I got to give massive love to our friends over at Manscaped because, again, the Lawnmower 2.0 is super, super great. It is a fantastic tool. It is something that you can shave all your body parts in the best ways. Have you looking real good? Have you looking real sweet and sexy? You can put that baby oil on your body, feeling real nice and stuff and make it happen for 20% off if you use the code spawn on me at manscaped.com 
to get all your body parts in order. We'll be right back after this. Massive love to our friends over at Manscaped. When we come back from the break, we'll jump right into the 411, and we have lots of things to talk about per Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. So we'll be right back after this. So first first story of the week is the biggest story of the week uh, for what's the 411, and that is Xbox buying Activision Blizzard and King. They have acquired them in a merger and acquisition. Tuesday morning, the internet lost its mind. Xbox rolled up and was like, I am the captain now and said, what you going to do, brother, when we come for all of your IPs? <laughs> it was kind of great. It was kind of interesting to see how that's how that's going. And, and it was just like it moved the tectonic plates within the industry in a in a huge way. It was something that I no one expected. No one saw coming. And it was a wild deal. So Microsoft getting and purchasing Activision, Blizzard and King for basically 70 billion with a B dollars uh, was the story of the week. There's nothing else bigger than that. Uh, I think that changes the landscape in a very fundamental way. Uh, we had various folks speak on it from lots of different places. Our friend of the show, Parasilli of Gamertag Radio was quoted within the New York Times saying that Khalif had the best food and also had conversations about the Xbox acquisition. Um, but I, I think there's two big conversations to dig into that I think are the ones that everyone has been kind of, you know, poking at and digging into and thinking about from a much larger perspective. One, I think the biggest layer of that is what happens to the games that are in that portfolio, Overwatch, Diablo, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Candy Crush, Starcraft. What does that mean for the future of games on other platforms that we've seen multi-platform games wind up being on? More, most, most likely, and the one that everyone is thinking about is Call of Duty. One of the biggest shooters on the planet, one of the games that so many people are spending their money on for literally just that one game. Uh, and you know, what does that mean for what this space is gonna look like going forward for not only Microsoft, but how does this change the potential culture within Activision Blizzard under a not great time in, in terms of what we've seen from stories? It's been actually a horrible time for a lot of workers and especially women under the regime of Bobby Kotick. That conversation ran wild over this week and it was something that I think everyone is paying attention to um, the first thing I want to dig into is the Call of Duty uh, elephant in the room. Um, Phil Spencer said a little bit earlier today, because Sony has a outstanding uh, contractual uh, agreement with them that there'll still be multiple, multiple, multiple platform games on uh, their systems as well, that they want to do some good work with them. They want to, uh, you know, they want to uh abide by the contracts that are already there and then once the merger and acquisition changes uh you know the conversation may change right i, I don't that's not exactly what he said but he basically says he wants to honor the contracts that are there that are already been established in there um 
I appreciate that. I think that that's a reasonable stance to, to say early on in an emergent acquisition where the ink is not dry yet. That ink will not be dry until sometime in 2023. So we have a whole year and change to pass around the scuttlebutt and say, what's going to happen when the ink dries on this deal? Um, you know, the conversation has always been like, you know, Phil was a little bit, uh, 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 like smooth in the way that he talked about this thing. I think you have to be like, I don't think again, we're going to, we're going to play the game of how do you want it to work versus how does it actually work? Right. How you want it to work is you want Phil to say, yo, we snatching up all of call of duty and that shit is ours. Now we is mine. Y'all can't have it. That's not the way it works. I don't think Xbox has done that work. And I don't think that that's a thing that Xbox, from a company perspective, Rishi talked about it really well. They have garnered a lot of goodwill in the space. They are not trying to lose goodwill by saying off the jump that like, yo, games that you have been playing on your system for a long period of time may not be there in a year or so. No one's going to win. That's a bad strategy move from an Xbox perspective to say something like that when you've just literally dropped a bombshell that you bought one of the biggest video game companies in the world at $70 billion. That's not the way that works. So everybody, again, I understand what you want to happen, but that's not the way that happens. I think the language that, that, that Phil shared was very similar to what he talked about in the way that he talked about the acquisition of, of Bethesda, which again was... We're going to continue to do what we were supposed to do. Those companies are going to be working, you know, together with us. The outstanding agreements that were there, we're going to abide by them. And at some point, we'll have a discussion, right, about what that looks like. The way I think this actually plays out, you goddamn right, they better freaking take Call of Duty and take and snatch that bad boy up. They spent $70 billion. You better take Call of Duty. You better take Overwatch 2 and say that joint is only going to be on Xbox, is going to be on Game Pass, is going to be on these things that we have spent so many months and years building out in a way that is going to be for gamers in that in that way. Sony folks are going to be mad. There was a $20 billion hit to their stock prices uh, you know, with the announcement dropping. But this it's it's weird because it feels like karma. And I hate to make it sound like that, but it feels like karma. And I think the people who need to really be the ones who get thrown out into the into the lake are Sony fans. Sony fans did this to themselves by kind of being the assholes <laughs> talking about, well, Xbox ain't got no games. And Xbox don't have God of War. And Xbox don't have all this stuff. And now, because y'all talked a whole bunch of mess, and Microsoft did what they needed to do from a from a, uh, a um, strategy perspective, and said, "Look, we're gonna hold, we're gonna continue to do what we need to do, build up through the process of getting our money in, into a good spot, getting the ecosystem into a space where you don't need our console to have uh, fun and play on our on our systems, but we're gonna give you an option to be able to play wherever you are." And they have moved in a really smart direction, not only from a marketing perspective, but from a technology perspective. I think that is extremely smart. Those things are going to be a space in which they develop new talent and they develop new systems to kind of infect and, and, and inter intersect these layers of technology in a way that makes sense. One of the smartest things that came out from, you know, uh, the conversations maybe a couple of months ago, maybe early last year, 
was the rumblings around CES time of 2021 CES of like, Xbox is going to figure out a way to get that little dongle that you need to plug into your TV. And you don't need an Xbox anymore. You can just play all that stuff in those ways. So I, I, I think this conversation changes the way that that looks in a, in a bigger way. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, chat in chat, Lefster says, shout out to Lefster. He says, here's my thing. He says, Phil isn't going to be CEO forever. Are things, uh, things are good for right now, of course, but later down the line, I'm not liking this consolidation of dev studios. Sure. I, I w I've been thinking about that a lot because I think a lot of folks who have, uh, you know, I had a friend of mine who is not, who, who doesn't play games that she's not in the gaming industry, but she is very anti-capitalist. She's like, I am, I don't believe in capitalism. I hate it. It's bad. It's terrible. It's stupid for all the reasons why we understand that capitalism is, is bad and stupid. Right. And the thing that I told her was, because she was like, what does this mean? Is this a monopoly? Do you think this is going to be a, a monopoly for, for Xbox? And I said, no. I said, do I think that they're going to continue to ac acquire other studios? Absolutely. I think it makes sense for them to do that in that way. Uh, from a power play position, it, I think it makes a lot of sense. To Levster's point of what happens if Phil moves down the line, I think, to be fair, I think what happens is you wind up getting... You know, they shared this new org chart that came through, you know, in, in the conversation before. And I really do think, and I say this with every fiber of my being, I think the smartest move for Xbox, thinking about what that conversation is, is to see Sarah Bond take that position. I think, you know, I'm not kicking Phil out of his seat, but I think if you're thinking about someone who is garnered that good vibe with the industry has figured out a good way to be in that space um, uh, and, 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 and own that relationship with the greater Xbox community. It's not Matt Booty. Um, it, it's, it's not Kareem uh, Chari who's, who's in that space. It's been Sarah Bond who I would think would be the next in line to potentially be that person who takes over that spot. And if you look at the way that she has discussed the ecosystem and discussed the way that she wants to kind of maneuver, I think those things would be very, very in line with the same ways that Phil Spencer has run, has run the company. You know, I also look at that picture and say, yes, there is not enough POC folks there. That's in every company on the face of the planet that is not black and brown owned. I don't like that. It's not a thing that makes me excited. But I have to also say that there is some progress there within that space by seeing more women on that board than men. I think that that's important to say out loud because that is not just a thing that you gloss over and say, well, there's no progress happening. We can't have we can't have the, 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 the all or nothing versions of diversity. Yes, white women are the ones who are currently the ones over indexing when it comes to conversations around diversity. Odell uh, Harmon Jr., brilliant writer, now on the PR side, had a fantastic thread about that conversation in that space. I think it is a thing that we need to f continue to move forward with. We need to continue to find avenues to be in those spaces and do that work while also saying there is a space here where we see some progress happening. Progress is never going to be as fast as we need it to be at, from a black and brown perspective, from a POC underrepresented perspective because the country 
was founded on white supremacy, was founded on whiteness, it was founded on all those things. We're constantly going to be on an uphill battle, finding ways to infuse what we do into the world in a reasonable way, in a way that gives us spaces, in a way that builds our own tables, which I think, again, is what we should be thinking about in that way. I can't wait for Xbox to build the table in that way. So I can hope that they are paying attention and putting good people in uh, positions of power to understand the value that blackness brings to a boardroom, that uh, being a woman brings to the boardroom. Those perspectives are important and all of those things need to be uplifted and highlighted. And they have seen, at least in my time, having interactions with Xbox folks, having interactions with the programs that they've built, blacks at Xbox, uh, women at Xbox, all those places, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, LGBTQIA at Xbox, you know, all of those things being in place and giving people who are not white people spaces to grow, to collaborate, to learn, to build. Those things don't happen without people putting their foot down who are not necessarily POC folks to say this is a necessary thing. It is a balance between those groups. You need you need some white people who get it and can pay attention and, and make sure that they are, you know, uh, if they're in a position of power to make sure that they're lifting people up and doing that work. Then you need the people who are POC folks and underrepresented folks to kill it when they get into those positions. So I think, again, it is one of those moments where we have to also give props to the folks who are in those rooms. I've had those conversations with Phil Spencer. I've had those conversations with Aaron Greenberg. I've had those conversations with Sarah Bond. And I fully do believe that they get it. And I don't think that they are just doing this stuff as lip service. I don't. I just don't believe that. There are too many things and too many conversations that we have all had over the years that lends me to believe that, yes, is it fast enough? Of course not. Is it moving in a, in a reasonable direction? I think so. Even if you just think about what this looks like from a Sony perspective, what's the last time you've seen an org chart from Sony that had anybody in it that we know? When's that happened? I've not seen it. I don't. I know that there is a, a um, uh, an ERG uh, that is that that is full of black folks at at Sony and PlayStation because we did work with them for the Black and Gaming Awards. But when it comes to management, when it comes to movement within a company, when it comes to external visibility of those people, you don't see them from the Sony side of the fence. I'm no. I know those people are working there, but it's not a. It's not a top of mind um, marketing, even if you just want to go into it from a marketing perspective, it is not a top of mind thing to show those people at that company. And again, this isn't me pooping on Sony because I, you know, I have mad friends at, at PlayStation and I think they're really doing a good job in this generation of bringing good products to bear. But if we're going to talk about the industry and we're going to talk a little bit about this a little bit later with some great information and great data that came from uh, GDC this year, we need to really think about what is the process for growth? What is the, what is, what does DNI work look like in the trenches? What does DNI work look like? Sadly, in a very slow state, but what does it look like when things are moving? I think that org chart, even though it was full of white women and is, you know, one Asian woman and one black woman and, you know, a couple of folks who are who potentially are East, East Asian, 
we have to we have to look at some versions of what potential progress looks like because if that's the case and we poo-poo everything that looks like that because it doesn't automatically fit what we need it to fit in the moment immediately then what's the work what's the use of doing dni work what's the use of doing dni work if we're always going to look at everything and say there is no progress here that's problematic in its own right so i would say i would tell people like yes Continue to raise your fists, continue to be in those in those trenches, continue to do that work, but also look at some of the full scope of the thing and say, is there anything here to celebrate? Because I think that there are times where we can do that work while also being critical of the way that things are. We never give props. We always look, we always poop on people for stuff. And that that to me doesn't make sense. The second layer of this conversation that I want to dig into is the one around Bobby Kodak. I think there's a lot of conversations there about um, with this merger and this in, in this this merger and acquisition of the want for Bobby Kotick to have gone to jail as opposed to what we're going to see happen with Bobby Kotick. What we wanted to see from Bobby Kotick, or at least for what the internet wants to see from Bobby Kotick, is Bobby Kotick to go perp walk into a, a, a car and then get driven to jail and then put on an orange suit and then have, you know, Kodak is the new black happen to him. That's not the way this works. <laughs> that's not the way any of this works. I know that that's not the answer people want, but that's not the way any of it works. And I'm sad to say that that's the case, but that's just the case. There was no situation in which Bobby Kodak was going to go to jail or at least go to mean jail. <laughs> and I say that purposefully. There's a difference between mean jail and Goodfellas jail. Goodfellas jail is the shit that he was going to go to if he ever went to jail at all. He was going to go to Ray Liotta, sit in the back of a car. All right, y'all, take me to jail. Jail. That's the jail he was going to go to. He's going to be sitting there cutting up garlic or having somebody else cut up garlic for him and do that work while he sits and smokes a cigar in his cell. Cell in nice jail. The only thing that was going to wind up happening was that he was going to get a golden parachute and he's going to get a golden parachute. We know that's going to wind up happening. Once this deal is over, he's going to wind up getting a big payout because it's the way that capitalism works. And we know that that's what it does. He's going to wind up caking out and he's going to leave, which is going to be beneficial to everybody who's going to be working in that new ecosystem. But there are very few times in which we've seen a, we've seen a CEO of his of his stature and of his ilk work under somebody else and stay in that position. That just doesn't happen. That's too much of an ego hit for him to do that work in that way. That's never that was never going to happen. He was going to go down with that ship in all the ways that he was going to go down with that ship or he was going to, you know, scandal himself out of a, out of a job. And that still didn't happen. So for all the energy that's in the space, that's like, this is a bad deal because it gives Bobby Kotick a, 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 a golden parachute. He was going to get a golden parachute no matter what was going to happen. That's just the way, sadly, this works, but it is the way it works. I don't understand this bizarro timeline, this bizarro version of the multiverse where he was going to get perp walked out of Activision, you know rocking rocking an overwatch costume like that's not going to happen for him he's too rich he makes too much money that's not the way any of this works so like that layer of that conversation was silly to me because i was like what did y'all expect that's not the way any of this maneuvers and moves
Um, the third layer of this that I want to dig into really quickly before we change gears is the biggest one of the biggest layers of this conversation I haven't seen people talk about is the acquisition of acquisition of King within this larger uh, MA. Getting getting Candy Crush in your ecosystem is a huge win for Xbox. A huge it, it's actually kind of interesting and kind of ironic them getting king in this deal because one of the biggest maneuvers that Xbox was trying to do in two in the past two generations was get a handheld or get a foothold I should say in the Asia a, Asia markets. Asia over indexes on mobile devices they have better infrastructure it is a thing that just happens in that in that part of the world now with king being a part of that portfolio they have an instant and direct connection to that market in a much bigger way that also speaks to, again to the conversation about ecosystem versus system which is what their major play has been for the past year and a half, two years with the move to xCloud, with the move to backwards compatibility, with the ability to not have a console, which was the thing that they were trying to sell over there. And it didn't work. Now they don't have to because all of that stuff is going to wind up pulling itself in on a mobile device, on a tablet that you don't have to think about. People like uh, Otaku Man says in the chat, People sleep on the mobile side of the of the deal. Absolutely. That is a huge layer to all of this that people are missing and they're not talking about that part of the conversation. So that's why you come on Spawn to me and listen to my show because I know things. That's the stuff that you need to pay attention to. That is a huge deal for them. And that is going to be a place where they make a shit ton of money in that space once those conversations happen moving forward. Again, does Call of Duty become exclusive? Absolutely, at some point. When that ink is dry, you should be you have you should have an expectation for a lot of the stuff that's in that portfolio to go into uh, the Xbox team's hands. I think that's just the way that works. It just makes sense, and it's really smart from a business perspective. And kudos to the folks over at Xbox again for understanding. I know a lot of people, again, are, are worried about the monopolizing of this space, but I think also to a certain extent, it doesn't matter. It matters in two ways. The first way we just talked about, which is the, uh, the removal of games from other people, which also isn't really a removal of games for, for, for Sony fan, for Sony fans, because yes, you may have to go cop an Xbox. Yes. You may have to play some of those games on PC. Some of that stuff will work on mobile and some of that stuff will work on some version of a cloud-based service that you will have because Xbox has that cloud. You can play some of that stuff. The second layer of that conversation, which is the thing that I think is the most important and the thing that people actually give a shit about or don't give a shit about is the actual conversation about the monopoly. I think most people who are, you know, Joe Gamer, you know, Jill Gamer playing out in the world, give no shits about this acquisition in that way. They don't care about monopolies. They don't care about Microsoft being the, you know, big hit on the block, buying up all these other studios because it doesn't really affect them in the way that they consume video games. Again, think about the way that we, the way that we deal with media currently right now. 
we have about four companies that really run all of media, four to five companies that run all the media that we consume. There are people who care about that. There is not enough people who care about that in a way that's going to make that thing matter. And even if it did, what are you going to do? There isn't a lot of stuff to actually do in that space that's going to actually affect the way that that moves besides you not spending money. That's the way you break up some of that monopolizing of stuff is if you as a gamer, if you're really that upset, you don't you don't put any of your resources into the system. That's not it, it, that's not going to be a thing that's going to happen because there's too many other people who don't pay attention to this stuff, who are not in the gaming bubble that we are in, who don't care about that stuff. And they're going to continue to play a thing until they can't play it. That's when they will raise their hackles about that kind of stuff. So this means a lot more stuff is going to be coming to Game Pass. A lot more games are going to be you know, pulling into that ecosystem and a lot more uh, opportunities are going to be there for Xbox to market things to you in ways that they hadn't had a chance to before, which again is extremely, extremely smart uh, on their on their positioning in the way that they want to do it. Uh, Artec 3000 says in the chat, it says as a PlayStation owner and Call of Duty player, I hope COD becomes exclusive so other games can step up and fill the, the FPS space uh, on PS5 with something new and fresh. Again, I think that that is also, and, and exactly, I, I, I agree with that in a lot of different ways. I would love to see a new SOCOM game happen. I would love to see a new Killzone game happen. I'd love to see a new mag happen. And to be honest, in the same way that that the, the the purchase of Bethesda is a big thing to have because of the uh, potential of what Beth- Bethesda has done, if we think about the games that Bethesda has put out of late, Deathloop probably being the better of most of the ones that have been in the space, the Fallout, the last Fallout game wasn't a banger. You know what I'm saying? Like that game wasn't that dope. They still have a lot to prove with with Starfield. And I think maybe this maybe this actually does, you know, uh, move the needle a little bit in a different way where Activision and Blizzard folks say, hey, maybe we don't do Call of Duty every year. Maybe we 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 spread that game out into a different space and maybe we think about new products that are different than Call of Duty, because I'd be I'll be honest, Call of Duty is buns right now. That game is not that fun. It's not that great. I'm playing way more Halo and playing other stuff than I'm playing that game. And it gives another another space because Battlefield isn't doing that well. So a lot of these legacy franchises potentially may be moving on to different things. We may get new stuff in this way, in this conversation, in a way that actually may benefit gamers by the fact that I'm having a new home to kind of think about this. So, you know, that is the thing I want all of you to think about when you're having that conversation as well. Second story and last story of the 411 this week is all about GDC's state of gaming data. Um, GDC will often put out, you know, towards the beginning of a year, they will drop uh, some dope information about the state of gaming and the state of the gaming industry, uh, you know, to 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 folks within the space. Um, and, and there were some really great tidbits in, in, the, in the kind of information drop, information dump that they shared. I'm going to go through some of it. I'm going to kind of funnel my way through the, the PDF uh, and, and share things that I found that were, that were pretty interesting. So bear with me while I kind of scroll through things. Uh, it was over 2,700 game developers were asked about their work and in the industry as a whole. Uh, they found that developers were working to improve accessibility in games. They're mixing uh, their mix on the viability of the Steam Deck. 
uh, and they have strong feelings on bringing cryptocurrency or non-fungible tokens, NFTs, into the gaming space. Um, some interesting layers there that I want to dig through because they're just some, some great data points. Um, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X slash S is virtually neck and neck for current game development, uh, which was also pretty interesting. So it looks like, again, PC is the main platform where most people are developing for. Uh, but between PlayStation and Xbox Series, the Xbox uh, Series uh, consoles, it's 31% versus 29% of those 2,700 folks who were who were polled, which I thought is pretty interesting uh, in that part of the conversation. Um, again, PC leads overall interest, uh, but PC, PS5 leads uh, consoles in terms of which platform are you most interested as a developer to right now? Excuse me. Most of that is on PC, but also PlayStation 5 is getting a lot of love in that space, which I thought was pretty, uh, um, pretty telling as well. When again, you know, Xbox right now has a lot of good momentum in terms of the visibility of what that means. Um, there's a lot of folks who are really interested in the Steam Deck, but there's also a lot of uncertainty because, again, it's this new um, platform that I don't know if people are feeling is going to stick around for for the for the way we usually think of them. The question was asked: Do you think Valve Steam Deck? will be a viable game platform in the long term 36 folks 36 percent uh said yes 17 percent said no 47 percent of folks said that they were unsure which i think is also uh really interesting um th- uh, which vr ar platforms are you currently developing for that's the thing i care about a lot because i love vr spaces and it was actually a pretty good uh indexing at least six percent of folks were still thinking about uh, or 5% were thinking about VR2, PlayStation VR2, but still people are kind of moving towards the Oculus Quest. So there was even an interesting layer there too where there was a lot of scuttlebutt about the connection again from the Facebook meta side of things to this device, but developers are still making stuff towards it. There was a lot of conversations of like, oh, because of all the stuff that's happened with Facebook, we're not going to fuck with Facebook anymore. We're not going to do that kind of stuff. People are still developing towards it and for it. Um, so that was a interesting finding there. Um, intra, interest in cryptocurrency and NFTs grow, but game developers remain skeptical. Uh, of the 2,700 folks that were polled, this says, what is your studio's interest in cryptocurrency as a payment tool? Again, this speaks to a lot of the conversations we're having in the space about if you're even if you just look at an NFT at this point as a developer, you're an evil human being, which I, I don't. That's kind of a weird take that most people are taking. I think, again, there's reasons why you, you should not be for this. But the fact that curiosity is even killed is, is, is a problem for me. What is your studio's interest in cryptocurrency as a payment tool? Six uh, percent were very interested. Twenty one were somewhat interested. Seventy two percent were not interested. So, again, that vibe that we see on social media of like, NFTs are not a thing that we want to give, you know, energy to is coming through. I think that that is being, you know, pushed through the, you know, the, the way that things are pulled. And a lot of this stuff also was kind of coming through from last year. What is your studio's interest in NFTs? 7% were interested. 21 were semi-interested. 70% were not interested. So again, I don't think that this is going to be a thing that actually moves the needle um, in terms of what that means for the game industry. Uh, I just don't think that that's going to be a thing. We talked with Rishi about social media and its use for discovery. I think, again, that's a, a really important thing to drill down on. Um, 
let's see what they said. They said most respondents supported small investments in time or money across a variety of avenues. Most notably, pre-recorded YouTube videos, forums, and email marketing, 24% each. Along the traditional press and bloggers, 22%. So that's all of us in the media. Real-time communications like Discord and Slack, 21%. And Twitch streamers, 20%. That's interesting. If you're a content creator, this is a thing that you should be listening to because this is where smaller developers, you know, I don't know what the makeup was in terms of small versus indie versus big, but... Those are the places that they're looking to get the word out. So you need to be paying attention to those things in that way. Um, What was the other layer? Social media was once again, the most popular form of marketing for game studios at 25%. And they reported moderate investment into platforms like Twitter or Facebook and 15% made a large investment. A few noted how they were even getting into TikTok and Snapchat with 19% saying they made small investments in short form video. Over 71% of respondents didn't report any investment into short form video, making it the least common discovery method this year. That tells me that that is an untapped market. That tells me that if you are thinking about connecting with developers and connecting with, uh, um, you know, folks who potentially will want to pay for some ad revenue or pay to use you as an avenue to get their game messaging out, if your TikTok stuff is popping and you have a really good visibility on that platform, you should be reaching out to them and saying, look, we have a really good space here that you can leverage to find ways that you can get your game out in a really smart way, especially if those things are moving in that in that in that conversation. Another layer really quick, and I'm running through this. So, so you know, uh, apologies for mumbling and getting things kind of jumbled. Um, accessibility in games is on the rise. They said they asked respondent asked respondents whether their current games are, are implementing any accessibility measures for those with sensory motor or other impairments. In previous years, most respondents said no, 48% in 2020 and 42 in 2021. Uh, but in 2022, 28 of them, 28% said yes, and 31 uh, in 2021. But the reverse happened this time around. So they said, you know, have you implemented any uh, in accessibility measures? 39% said yes, 36% said no, and 25% said they didn't know or they didn't have an answer. So, you know, the conversation around accessibility has been huge within the space. We know that that is a trending idea and topic about how do we continue to make this space more inviting for people to play. But it is good to see that some folks are really paying attention. And again, we're, we're always trying to figure out, you know, what happens in that conversation in a much bigger way. And how we also kind of, you know, thinking about um, what does that mean for, you know, what the games are going to look like going into the future. I think that's always, again, in a really important layer to all of this. Um, another thing that stood out to me in this report was uh, a section around game studios engaging in social activism. So, again, last year, or let's say two years now ago at this point, all the conversations around Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, um, uh, so the question was asked towards, you know, these 2,700 folks in the past year, to what degree has your studio taken part in any activism or social justice movements? 8% said a great deal. A moderate amount said 20% or 20, 20% of the respondents said a, a moderate amount. 24% said a little. Here's the number that really blew me away. 49% of them said none at all. So... As a person who is doing this work, 
I think of Spawn on Me as a layer that has has a huge layer of activision uh, activism within it. That also tells me that that is a a point of contention within the video game industry because I think a lot of people again who are at higher levels at most of the companies are not PLC underrepresented folks, so they don't know how to broach the conversation in a good way. But it also, again, it feels like the conversation is an untapped market. It is a thing that if you figure out the smart ways to connect to that, you can do that work. It goes on to say this year, we asked game industry professionals if their studios have participated in any activism or social justice movements within the past year. Over half of the respondents, 51% said that the studios had done some form of activism, while many, with many citing Black Lives Matter as public statements or climate change awareness, while the remainder, 49% said no. So half the folks are doing stuff, at least in that small group, that sample set, other folks are not. Um, so that's the thing to think about as well. So that's another layer that you can kind of, you know, if you're thinking about that work, how do you want to talk about that in a way that is smart? so that you are giving and signaling up to a lot of these companies that this is a thing that you care about and they should care about too. And I think that is also extremely important. Um, lastly, uh, the conversation around unionization was, 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 was in that mix in the, in those, in those conversations, uh, folks were asked, do you think workers in the video game industry should unionize? 55% said yes. 22 said maybe. 14 said no, 9% said uh, they don't know. The other question was, do you think workers in the video game industry will unionize? 18% said yes, 46% said maybe, 24% said no, and 12% said they don't know. Um, that is also really telling in a lot of different ways. I think, um, I think a lot of times people are continuously kind of thinking about unionization in potentially a not smart way. Um, it makes me think about how many folks within the industry who are the loudest proponents of, of unionization have actually even worked within a union. And I say that because I think it is important to understand that like even like unionization isn't the silver bullet that I think a lot of people think it is. I think it is a fantastic way to, con con to control a narrative. I think it's a really important and smart way to gather up folks for collective bargaining. I think it's a really smart way to build out safeguards and safety nets for your workers when it comes to conversations around uh, diversity and inclusion, when it comes to fair pay rates when it comes to a lot of those things that we care about in a bigger way. But having worked in a union, and again, this is not the be all end all of what union work feels like and all that kind of stuff, being in a very big municipal union back home in New York and working in that place for almost a decade. The thing that nobody says is you can have a great, you can have a union, but it can still be shitty. Like all, not all unions are great. Not all unions are good. Not all union. Like there is also lots of layers of corruption and grossness that happen even within unions alone. So it is a factor within the conversation of how do you want to build out a new space to make it more equitable, but humans are humans and humans will do human shit all the time. So I appreciate the fact that everyone is like unionization is the key. It is a key on a larger keychain that I think a lot of people need to pay attention to that. It is a tool to help build that conversation out, but it is not a silver bullet. 
I, it just isn't in that way. There are so many other factors to that that lean into that. Um, that I think it is important to understand that and say that out loud. They're like, yes, it is a really smart thing to do. And I hope this is Kali saying this. I hope more people unionize, but I also want them to understand that going into this, it is not a silver bullet. Um, and that is that is very important to understand. Um, before we get about it here, we have two quick segments or one quick segment uh, about most of the stuff that I've been playing this week. Uh, so let's get into what we have been playing. First up for what we've been playing this week, one of my favorite games is now what will be out on February 8th. Uh, I've been playing through it a bunch. I've been playing through that series a lot, which is Ali Ali World. Um, showcasing some gameplay here on our live stream. Again, if you're watching, if you're listening on the audio version of the podcast, please go check us out every Wednesday night. We, we had our show a little bit later this week, every Wednesday night at uh, twitch.tv slash spawn on me at 6 p.m. PST. Uh, Ali Ali World is fucking dope. It is a fantastic game. It is one of my favorite things that I'm playing right now. Um, it is gorgeous. It is beautiful. Has one of the dopest soundtracks on the planet. I know it's going to be a contender for, you know, our turn up award uh, for the Spawnies this year. You know, for you know, the 2022 version of the Spawnies. Um, I love everything about this game. The visual aesthetic is just gorgeous. I love the fact that we're digging back into this kind of score muncher game. It is so cool. I am putting out the word now to be like I am lobbying for us to get a a board within the game somehow you know how do we figure out a way to get you know some some cool stuff into the game uh because i would love to be able to do that you know maybe a spawn on me shirt maybe a spawn on me board something but the game's premise is is pretty simple again you're 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 on this track you know doing tricks making cool uh transitions between lanes doing all this stuff but it's the thing that makes it different and makes it extra cool is one the customization is fucking awesome um i love where they've landed on the customization stuff there's so many cool ways to to, to, to have that now be a part of the equation this is my character who i'm playing currently uh being shown on screen the one that i you know put together all the bits and pieces for um but what makes this game cool and uh, you know, I would even say better than the previous iterations of Ali Ali has been the fact that now you're moving to multiple planes within the game space. So you have your your one main track, and now they have half pipes in the game where you're moving and going from left to right. But then you'll hit a half pipe, do a trick, come back, and now you're moving across the landscape from right to left. Or you're moving from the foreground and background in the game, you know, moving from one track and grinding from one thing to another. It just feels so good to nail a trick. It feels so good to get a good run in. The other layers of the game that talk to the score parts of this are the things that are going to keep me coming back. I have a particular way that I play these games specifically, is which is I go through the, the, the first part of the, the run, just to finish it, because it's usually, a, you know, just finish the run uh, part. That's like, you know, you get in a not an achievement, but you get a, like a, a, you know, a check on a, on a list. That's like, what are the things you have to do to kind of complete the missions within a particular part of a level? Usually the first thing you have to do is just finish the level. 
then there will be secondary kinds of tasks that you are supposed to take on. And that will give you, if you fill all those out, will give you the ability to get new swag on your character or new things. So there's like uh, one match that I did uh, to uh, one, one map that I did or one segment of a map that I did. And if you finished it and you did everything within it, you get those like, you know, helmets with the two beer cans on the side of it. I spent like 45 minutes doing all of those things just to like, cause you know, you crash and you mess up and you sometimes you don't get it cause it's a fast paced game. I literally spent like 45 minutes just trying to get that one hat knowing that it was super dope. And that if, you know, if I'm in a space and you see my character at some point, uh, you'll know that I did all the things to get that one particular item so I could show it off. This game is one of my favorite games of the year already. I'm going to spend a ridiculous amount of time with this. It is going to be a time crunch monster for me because I, you put anything on a game where I have to try to figure out how to get a higher score than somebody else or move up a leaderboard. That is going to be a monster for me in a lot of different ways. So I am very excited for the rest of <clears throat> the rest of Ali Ali. I can't talk a lot about the extra parts of the levels yet because I'm still under uh, it's not embargo, but there is stuff that they don't want us to talk about just yet. But I would say if there is a game that you're thinking about, if you love stuff like this, if you're a fan of Ali Ali, if you believe uh, in, in what Roll7 is doing and has done in the past, you are going to have a fun time with this game. It is going to be lots of fun. It's one of those things that I'm hoping that when we think about our community, maybe we find a way to even build that into some of the stuff like we start to challenge each other and be like, hey, I beat your score. I beat your score. Da, 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 da. Like, that'll be a cool thing to do on Twitter and like, you know, post the screenshot of like, hey, I beat you. That kind of stuff will be amazingly cool. Um, so massive shout out to the folks over at Roll7 uh, for getting that. That'll be out on February 8th. Uh, and it is a blast to play. I'm so excited for that thing. Um, last game on what we've been playing uh, for this episode of Spawn on Me. And thank you so much for sticking around. This has been a extra long show has been rainbow six extraction. Um, I've been playing through this. Uh, my impressions so far are, I really like it. I think it's a really interesting game. Um, I don't know if it's, it's not going to be for everybody. This is a very grindy game in terms of the way that it interacts with the world that, that we all live in. Um, but I do think that there is fun to be found in this game. If you have the right people to play with, this is very much a like play with your friends, get some time together, uh, you know, move through the spaces stealthily uh, and work through the process of playing as a team. And you want people who are really going to play, you know, tactically when you play this game. So the premise is you're in all these various spaces. You're pulling in some of the operatives from the Rainbow Six universe. You're fighting against this alien threat. Uh, and within that, uh, uh, um, setting, you have various different kinds of objectives and there'll be various kinds. So one is like saving, uh, a VIP, uh, which I'll go back to in a second. The other one is, you know, can you scan these sections of a map, uh, until your progress bar fills up and then you finished out, you know, that layer of what that, what, what that particular thing means. Um, uh, other ones are like, can you scan the environment and shoot down uh, certain enemies? Can you do some of that? So the cool parts about it are 
the Rainbow Six Lair, if you're a big Rainbow Six Siege fan, then you already understand some of the character traits for some of these folks because they are translated over. It's a three-person squad in every match. Um, and you have these extraction points. So if you get to an extraction point and you're like, I need to extract, uh, you can do that and get out of the map and take your XP with you. Or because it has this three level of three levels per map or per like scene, you can continue to go on to the next, to the next part. Uh, every time you move from one, uh, um, objective to the other, then you get more XP, you get more stuff and that then becomes a part of your character. That character gets XP can then outfit itself with more cool stuff in that way. You can do that. But when you get to the second and third levels, it gets, it gets a lot harder which is the trade-off for all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was playing a lot with uh, Danny Pinion and Rihanna Manuel uh, from G4. And it was a blast, man. Like it was super fun. Cause you have to play quiet. You got to play stealthy. You got to play slow. I love games like that. Um, and it, when it turned, like when something goes wrong, it goes wrong. And you have to figure out a way to like make it happen as fast as you possibly can because you have a crap ton of enemies coming at you. You have exploders that blow up and throw this toxic gas at you. You have these other like asshole enemies that shoot at you and they shoot and they hit hard. Um, and it's just been a lot of fun so far. It is not a game that you should play solo, even though there's a layer of it that you can play solo. It is extremely boring as a solo game. I will say that out loud. But the risk reward parts are a lot of fun if you have a good smart squad that wants to play slow and play it in that way. The cool thing also is it has some replayability in terms of your um, your characters because if you die within a map, your character is not available for you or for the rest of the squad, which is, oh no, just for you, I think. It's just for you. You can't use that character for uh, a moment in time until you go back into that map and rescue that character or you get a certain amount of XP, I think. And then that character then becomes available again. So it is a risk reward where you want to play smart with your character so you don't lose them and you build them up, but you do have a way to get them back. If you lose them, there's a lot of the, uh, rainbow six kind of, uh, uh, layers to all of this. You can barricade doors to keep enemies out. You can, you can do, um, a lot of different things with your, with your toolkit, you're building out new ways to do some of that work. And within all those spaces, you know, when characters die, or at least when the enemies die, they drop this sprawl on the ground that acts as a, a slowing agent so that you can't move as quickly through the map, which is also another thing that you have to kind of pay attention to. I'm having a blast with it. I think it's super fun. I want more people to play it when it drops. Uh, and I'm looking to play it. Uh, with more people, especially folks within the community. It's going to be on Game Pass, so you have no reason not to check it out. If you're already a Game Pass owner, makes a bunch of sense. Uh, uh, Tech 3000 says, million dollar question, what's better, Extraction or Back for Blood? The answer is Back for Blood. I think Back for Blood is a better game. Um, even though the weird part is that both games are not good solo, I think Extraction is creepier than Back for Blood uh, is or should have been back for blood should have been a creepy game, but it's not, um, back for blood is a game in which things run at you really fast. And then you have to make decisions really quickly. Uh, uh, extraction is a more tactical game, which is the reason why I like it, uh, a little bit more in some fashions, but I don't, it doesn't have that same fast paced, uh, 
like the world has gone to shit moment. It has a little bit of it, but it doesn't have a lot of it, which I think is the thing that's going to keep people, you know, connected to it and playing it a bunch. So I would say it is definitely a thing that you should be paying attention to and, and, and getting into and, and checking out once you, you know, especially if you're a game pass owner, um, we've been running long. This show has gotten much longer than it should have. Uh, but we had a lot of stuff to talk about this week. So, you know, that's, that's the way that winds up working. But uh, before we go, I wanted to say really quickly, uh, one, go check out the Spawnies January 31st, 6 p.m. PST on twitch.tv slash Spawn on Me. I was looking at the edit today and I almost cried a little bit because I'm so happy at the way that this edit is coming out. It is it is going to be a lot of fun. I'm not going to blow it up into in in. And, and gas it up because I'm not going to do that because I want to I want to keep people having expectations in a good way. But I am really happy in the way like the, the premise for what this show is supposed to do, spotlighting people of color and underrepresented folks and doing it in a way that infuses, you know, our culture into that conversation in a way that feels good. We are nailing that. Uh, we are definitely nailing that. So I think that if anything, the job is already done in that way. So I'm very excited at that. So please make sure you're, you're, you're checking that out. You're going to be in the front page of Twitch uh, when that goes up uh, around 6 p.m. on that Monday. Um, and yeah, we're, we're again, we're celebrating our nine year anniversary today. It is a huge monumental day for me. Uh, I did not think that this this is this project would be lasting this long. This is the thing that I have stuck with the longest besides my marriage. Um, and it has been a beautiful, hard, frustrating, um, uh, really um, monumental ride. It has been all the emotions wrapped up into one. It has been something that has given me a lot of purpose, has given me a space to feel important in the world. It has given me a space to help people in a way, in a way that I'd never was able to do. It's given me a, a, a layer of visibility. I never thought that I would have. Um, and again, that all is because of all of you at home for, for, for being a part of our Bracago family for almost a decade now, which is wild to say out loud. Um, I get asked a lot of times, you know, what does it take to have longevity in this space? And some of that is just pushing and continuing to move. Uh, and, and a lot of that is, is, is driven from, the energy that I get from all of you. And I think that to me is the most important part. We are all strangers in this, in this world in an actual way, but from a, you know, way that we all get a chance to be with each other in this gaming space. This is a family vibe here. Like I care about people and I'm happy to see, you know, regulars in chat and new folks who have come to chat tonight and, and who are rocking with us and, and being in our space and understanding the importance of what these, these conversations can be in this industry. So uh, to not make this show any longer, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you that has ever lifted your phone uh, and plugged in some headphones and listened to our show. Anyone who's ever watched us on Twitch, anyone who's ever seen us do anything with any other folks, me doing something kind of funny or doing some IG and all that stuff and is given love. You know, do we have another lesson in blackness in us? Maybe, but we don't want to because that came off a really bad situation. I don't want to ever have another lesson in blackness show. I think, you know, I don't ever want to have to do that convert, do that content again. Um, because it means that something bad has happened. 
I want to do another show where we celebrate our blackness. And I think that is going to be a part of the Spawnies. And I think that that is going to be where we, we make dope things happen for all of you at home. Um, it's been a labor of love. It's been lots of time, effort, money, energy. Um, but it's all, it's all been so worth it. It's been so worth it um, to be able to do this kind of work in this way. Um, so again, I, from the bottom of my heart, I thank all of you. I think it's important to thank you all. This has been a ride that has not been just me. It has been all of you as well. Uh, and we continue to push uh, for the rest of this year and moving forward. We got a lot of things to do, but a lot of dope stuff to happen, a lot of cool things to share and announce. Um, and we're going to do more of that work here on the Spawn Me channel and all the places that we reside. So massive love to you all. Uh, stick around for we're going to do a quick shout out. Um, shout out circle uh, on the back end of the show. Uh, but for everybody who's listening to the audio version of the show, again, thank you so much for being here again. Nine years is a long time. Thank you for all the wonderful messages. Thank you for all the DMs. Thank you for all the um, uh, all, all the five star ratings on on all those places that, that we reside and, and we continue to want to have more of those. So please rate us on Apple Podcasts, rate us on Spotify, all those places so that we can continue to grow in the biggest ways possible. Until next week, we will see you all very, very soon. Everybody on Twitch, hang out for another five minutes on the back end. But everybody else, we'll see you next week. Much love and peace.